Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. You are joining episode 29, and we are continuing on with the Erotic Epiphany series. And today's guest features the erotic perspective of Christina Choi. I think some of my most insightful and profound realizations of the self come from when someone can tell me in a delicate way that maybe my perspective wasn't wide enough, wasn't open enough, wasn't curious enough. And throughout the conversation that I shared in this episode with Christina Choi, I realized that... Actually, she kind of called my number on the spot, which you'll hear towards the end, when we were discussing our views and the responses and reactions of the halftime show that featured Jennifer Lopez and Shakira and the lovely Latin dances and the political calls to action. And so we kind of talked a little about that. Christina lays out how God is seducing us. And seduction is something that I have been focused on more narrowly in the last few months as I'm still going through this erotic epiphany and working on and fleshed. And so this discussion really unfolded a lot of concepts for me that I needed to look at with a different lens and from a different perspective. And Christina was able to share that with me. We talk about the disadvantage of seeking and being able to receive. We talk a lot about attention and connection and why that's so important. Christina Choi is what I would call a recovery coach. And so she is somebody that helps encourage other people to find their freedom. And I really appreciate how she breaks down this idea that your life is like a table with rotten legs. And so I urge you to listen closely to her explanation on how we can go about fixing those rotten table legs. She says something really catchy that made me want to reflect deeper on it, and that was that you are behind your words. This resonated deeply with me because I have to step back a lot in the projects that I'm working on and the work that I'm presenting, and I have to make sure that I'm able to really walk into that I talk into. So listen carefully for how she breaks down how we are behind our words because I really find that to be important, and it's it's inspired me to kind of just take a take an inventory of myself, which is, I think it's something we should do more than just once a year. I think if we're being honest with ourselves and we understand how we grow and change, we, we should consider maybe a seasonal, quarterly introspection and inventory. We also have a little bit of a conversation about homeschooling and unschooling and the challenges that arise from it, what we notice from public school, and really so much more. To connect with Christina Choi, she can be found on Facebook and on her YouTube channel, Christina Choi. And now listeners, I ask you to compassionately consider the perspective of Christina Choi. Enjoy the episode. I'm not going to give you the answers. Yeah. You have to 
look into your own heart and know what's right for you because I don't, I can show you what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. I can kind of give you like, this is your spiritual skeleton. This is how things work. But the inner workings are your inner workings. So you go do the splunking in your heart, in your brain, in your life, in your own beliefs. Yeah, I can point the door, but you got to walk through that door because it's your door to your heart. Mm, I love that. I think that's the best part about therapy and coaching and encouraging is that you're not trying to say, oh, I have the answers for you. Come here. You're saying, I don't have the answers. You're the one that has the answer. And maybe if just you talking it out and me listening will help you find that answer. I think that seems to be a really common thing. People just need someone to bounce their story off of to maybe even just get a little bit of a response to make them rethink the whole thing. Yes, that. And I think a lot of people are searching for something. A lot of people Mm. are searching and they, and that's the thing that I point people back to a lot because one of the patterns that they see so often in people who, well, human beings in general, is we doubt ourselves. We doubt whether we're capable of, of the things that we want to achieve. A lot of times I tell people, you wouldn't be talking to me if you weren't, <laughs> this is like my favorite um, thing I tell myself when I'm having difficult days. I'm a stubborn motherfucker. I'm a stubborn motherfucker. I'm a stubborn motherfucker. And as I tell people, like, you, you are, you got it, what it takes. Like, you haven't given up. You haven't laid down and given up. Like, you're here. You're looking for it. So you clearly want this. But a lot of times it's asking the right questions, I feel like is kind of what a teacher does. Mm -hmm. Like the people, like people come to someone because they want something they don't have. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times as humans, like we don't even know what it is that we want that we don't have. We're like, I want something. I don't know what I want, but I'm not happy. Yeah. (laughs) I can help ask the right questions to get like guide you to the right pathways, the right doorways and the right places to walk through to finding, like to find what it is you're looking for. I love that. My husband does that with me. Um, when we get conflicted, you know, we go around this circle and around and around and he's always like, what do you want? What do you want from me, woman? And then I always go, fuck, I don't even know, you know? And it's just like that break where I go, crap, I don't know yet. And so it kind of forces you to go back inside yourself and go, what do you want? Yeah. And sometimes you can see the picture more clearly when you've been able to talk it out to somebody. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's actually something, cause I'm a pretty internal person most of the time. And even last night I was talking to my husband about, well, how we're homeschooling our kids. And I was like pausing at points in the conversation because I knew I wanted to talk to him about it. And at the same time I was thinking, but what is, what is it that I want to ask? Like, what is it that I'm looking for? What do I want? And how much of a role, how much is this me needing to have a conversation with myself? Mm, about what I'm willing to sacrifice to provide something and then or is it something we really need to have a conversation about but sometimes jumping into the conversation gets you to the point where you're like oh I need to have a conversation with myself about this and then we'll come back to it later what kind of questions about homeschooling do you have of yourself of myself well part of it is I like we've homeschooled for the entire duration of our children's education, our oldest kid is 10. So like not very long. And we've kind of leaned toward more unschooling overall, Mm -hmm. because that's more, we are like, that's my husband, like the idea of unschooling. And I was kind of like, that's a little weird. Um, And once I've kind of entered into my own recovery and now that I'm on the other side of that, I'm like, yeah, no, I like the idea of unschooling. I don't want to be the primary teacher of my kids. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of doing things like this for now, but ultimately I'm like, I don't want what we're doing right now to be the way it's going to be. 
And in the meantime, my question was, how can I give my children more while still honoring my true feelings about this and my own needs and how I really feel about this? Because I tried homeschooling and mothering from a place of like trying to force myself to do it because it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I started like that too. Yeah, that doesn't work for me at all. I realized that that was one of the things that made me more sick was always forcing myself to do things because somebody else thought it was a good idea. Yeah. No, I can't. I, my, my core value is authenticity. So it was kind of this question both to him and to me. Like to him, it was more, okay, can we like put this whole thing back on the table in four or six months so I know that there's something else down the road that's not what we're doing now? And in the meantime, my question to him too was like, should I spend more time actually teaching our kids or just being with them? Yes. That's like, a what's great question. Be, because a lot of times the... As, as homeschooling parents, I feel like the trickiest part of homeschooling isn't teaching them. Like, like math isn't that hard. You know, these things aren't that hard. Yeah. It's the children's emotions and the tension between the parents and the child and the headbutting that's mm -hmm. hard. Yeah. Yeah, and, I did that too. We started doing it. Uh, we were ordering curriculum sets, you know, $700 a kid for a whole year of their curriculum. you making sure the Bible study was in it. And you know, making sure we were plotting out five hours a day, book here, book here, book here, this work, this work. And I'm like, this is fucking boring because after you start paying attention, it's the same shit every year. Yes. It's the like, same thing over again. It's the same shit every year. Like we just, we just learned about the war like two grades ago and we learned about verbs and nouns like last year. And then you just start, everything's repeated. The geography is repeated. The English is repeated. The grammar is repeated. The math is repeated, except it starts advancing. But then you just do the same shit over and over. Like, that's what it was yeah. for my high school kids. And I'm like, this is dumb. Yeah. Because they weren't interested in it anymore. They knew it. And they were like, you know, one daughter, when my eldest was like, why can't I learn mythology? Why can't I just like figure out and teach myself how to do photography and, and why can't cosmetics be my art and look at, and, and it was just things that I was like, this is stupid shit. We should let them pick. So I went, you guys are going to tell me what you're interested in. Well, my one kid was a gamer. So his, his language is gamer and, and, and action movies. Okay. Well, I'm a philosopher, so I'm going to do the gaming with you and I'm going to do the movies with you. And then we can philosophize about it but I still need you to keep doing your math, even though I know you know how to do it. And we are going to do chemistry. And then I had to relearn chemistry because I failed chemistry in college. So, <laughs> but I was like, I need, I started just individualizing. What are you interested in? One of my sons was diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And so he can't do the state tests every year that we still have to do. And so I have to do an IEP with him and I have to do speech therapy and you know, there's all these different compartments, but I'm like, public school, the way it's set up just fucking sucks and it's failing our kids. And yeah. an unschooling environment where they're showing you what their passions and desires are is where the real learning starts, I think. And that's what I, I yeah. And it doesn't have to be six and a half hours a day. Because most, and this is the thing, it's like, so I, my background is I was homeschooled until I was in high school. The mm -hmm. first time I went to school was high school. But my mom had me because I was intellectually smart. I was book smart. So she had me skip eighth grade and go from seventh grade. And my birthday's in September. 
mm-hmm. into high school. So I was not quite 14 when I started my first year of high school. First time I ever went into a school as a student, I was not quite 13. I was 12 and I was going into high school and it was like absurd. So that was really overwhelming for me. So I spent two years in all girls Catholic school and then one year at a really weird co-ed Catholic school. And then last year of high school, I was like, I'm, I'm teaching myself. Like mom just dropped me off at the library when you go to work and I'm going to do the books myself. <laughs> I'm not going back to school. And my husband went through like what you're talking about with, but with Catholic schools, but it's the same thing, all the repetition. Like he actually did the normal, like 12 years of school and four years of college. Um, I did three years, like I did homeschooling three years of school and one year of college because I could not, to me, academia feels like a, a dungeon, a prison and a suffocation all at the same time. I was it like, is. no more. I can't do it. And some people like, and that's the thing is part of it is I think some people are scholars Some people love that environment. They thrive in it. Yeah. Some people, like, I think it's just odd that we expect everyone to fall into that category for like 12 to 16 years of your life. It's like, no, some people just don't fit in that category at all. But then the other thing is, again, like even now it's so obvious people are taking classes about adulting, basically. Like, how do you just be a human being? I'm like, who you are matters so much more than what you know, because all the information's out there. If you really want to know something, you can go learn it. But if you don't know who you are, you don't have a sense of purpose or passion or groundedness of like what it is to be human. Why are we here? Why am I here? Like, what do I want in my life? Then it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. It's going to be useless to you. Yes. Yes. So that's been my take with my kids from like the very beginning. And I'm, I haven't, we haven't had this conversation a lot yet because they're still young, but I'm going to tell them guys, like, don't go to college unless you really know that there's something there you want. Yep. That's what I told my oldest to. Don't go. Otherwise, like go work, go take, um, you know, learn a trade, just go get some experience out there in the world. And in the meantime, like here, it's just, the basic, yeah, like writing, you know, kind of reading math and arithmetic, right? That's kind of the basic things. But otherwise, I want to teach you how to listen to your heart. Yeah, and exactly. I want to teach you how to see the world and how to understand yourself and, and learn emotional intelligence and how to cook and how to make living life a fun and enjoyable thing. Yeah, where you can create an environment of love and peace. Like that's the most, that's what our world needs. We don't need more people with books shoved in their heads. <laughs> mm, I totally agree. I totally agree. So what is like your, what, what your practice, your coaching that you do, what is your focus for what your overall message is when you're working with people? What's the, do you, is there a central so, aim or is it just more individualized? It, there is a central aim, the central aim. So I, I kind of, I coach people, most people I coach, not everyone. And I think this is going to branch out in the future, but most of them are people who've done the program that I did to rewire their brain. So they're in the process of recovering from a chronic illness. And this is the understanding I tell people is that a chronic illness, the way we've experienced it is like you are a table and your life is on top of the table and your core beliefs are the legs. And if you have false core beliefs, it's like having rotten table legs. The, that's the problem is that the table legs are rotten. But the day that the weight becomes too heavy on top of the table, like whatever it is that your life's going on in your life becomes too much for those rotten core, like the rotten core beliefs, the rotten legs to hold up, the table falls, everything collapses, your whole life falls apart, your health falls apart. For most people, they have a slow buildup over their life. And then like one event they call the perfect storm where everything just kind of falls apart overnight. And that's really typical pattern in people who have Olympic system impairment. So kind of my focus with coaching, and this is the thing, the limbic system, your survival part of your brain is takes, it's a, it's literally like a child and it takes everything literally. So it, it, what it focuses on is what was on the table the day it it fell apart. What was I doing that day? What was I eating? What environment was I in? Who was I with? 
what was going on? And it starts obsessing about the events. It replays them. It's the trauma loop. It replays the trauma of what happened and all the circumstances of the day everything fell apart over and over again. And you get these beliefs that, oh, it was the mold in the environment I was in. It was the food I ate. It was, you know, it was driving. It was the this. It was the, like, there's just like, with the sensitivities and the symptoms and ideas people get about why they're sick, it can be anything because it's literally whatever was happening in your life, your brain will latch onto that as the problem and keep telling you that over and over again and get you in this obsessive loop that shrinks your life down to pretty much nothing and you operate completely out of fear. So what I focus on in coaching is helping people understand that it was never about what was on the table. It was about the core beliefs holding up the table. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about life? Because that's creating your reality and pointing out how there are a lot of people out there who live successful lives with a lot on their plate and they're happy and thriving. And there are people who have almost nothing on their plate who are miserable. I mean, again, it's like not what you do in life that makes you happy. It's, it's what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about your life? And how is that creating your reality? Do you believe things that are actually true that are in line with love about yourself in life? Do you believe something that's positive and real? And the other thing I tell people all the time is like negativity, negative beliefs, negative emotions. It's like darkness. It's not real. Light will always expel darkness, but darkness can't overtake light because it's not real. It's just the absence of light. So like all kind of physical negatives kind of show the spirituality of the same. So I focus on helping people apply the program that I use to themselves, but with a massive focus on understanding how their core beliefs led to everything that happened so that they can take their power back. Because when you realize the problem isn't out there, it's in here and that's a good thing because you can control this. You can change this to whatever you want it to be. You can yeah. change your, your brain's operating system. You can change out the software. You can choose whatever you want. Like I talk about a cosmic menu. Like you can literally pick anything you want and make it a, a program in your brain and get it running. And all of the perceived problems will disappear because you've replaced it with something that you want. You know, those perceived problems are just the projection of your thought patterns and your emotional patterns and your belief patterns. And that's held true in my life. I posted last night, the thing I posted about like my family life, like my family life has dramatically changed in the last two weeks because after doing this for three years, my husband finally sees like the physical outward because I had to rebuild myself on the inside, like yeah. from the inside out. And now it's apparent on the outside that I'm a different person than I ever was before. And he was waiting for that evidence. He was waiting to see radically changed behavior. That's clearly like, okay, there's something going on. He finally has seen that like in a way that he believes and we have a marriage that's healthy for the first time. We're mm. creating a healthy environment for our kids for the first time. Like our house is peaceful for the first time ever. You know, we, we're planning a future together for the first time ever. Our interactions, you know, we trust each other. There's no more fear. There's no more anger. You know, we have our moments, but we take care of our own shit. <laughs> we don't project onto each other anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's all that changed was the way I saw myself and life. That's it. Nothing else changed. Mm-hmm. but it's changed our whole family dynamics and our all like all of our lives, you know, cause if I had stayed on the path, I would have been, we would have gotten divorced and my, I would have had a, you know, single father of five and I would have been, I don't even know where. So wow. that just goes to show how powerful, like how we see ourselves yeah. and act beliefs that makes or breaks our life. So that's what the focus of my coaching is to show people how powerful that is yeah. and show them like all the powers within you, you can create anything you want. So that's kind of, I want people to tap into their own hearts and to find their freedom. Ultimately, that's my goal is to help people be free and create the life that they want, one that they're in love with. Mm, that's a lot, but that's yep. transformative. And yeah. that's, you said something earlier, you said, you know, it took your husband a while to finally see. I often get into the position where suddenly I'm seeing someone for the first time 
and I finally realized like, oh, what the problem was. And I will say, okay. And I'll take my ex, for instance, the father of my two eldest children. He has it in his head that I'm still the 19-year-old that told him I was pregnant and started ruining his life. And he's still stuck in that phase. And I hadn't been seeing it yet. But, and I was also not seeing how certain things I was doing or saying to him would trigger that. Yeah. And a lot of times, even though we realize people aren't letting go of their past with us in it, we're not paying attention to those small little teeny things that we keep doing that help keep them stuck in that, that past. Yeah. If yeah. that makes sense. It does make so, sense. So for me, I took that as a way, that's, all, that's the way I have to take accountability is that I have to be aware that when I react this way or if I make this smirk at him, it takes him back to that place. And I don't know what it was, but I came to this conclusion after my, my son left. He moved out in a rage, in a fight. It was not good. My ex literally tried to run me over with his SUV. He picked me up and choked me and spit on me. There was so much anger. My son wouldn't say goodbye to me. It was all over really a silly thing. And it just got super dramatic. And I was starting, I was going through this book. I was reading Heart and Mind. It was about a radical transformation. And I was kind of at this point where I was like, this is the part where I really have to let go. He's going to be 18 next month. He's going to live with his father. He's always had that option. I'm not going to deny it. I didn't like the circumstances, but I had to let it go. So all of this stuff transpired. And then one night I was like, okay. And I, I sent my, my ex a video and I was like, all of this shit happened. And I mean, the police were involved in everything. Like this was something I didn't just let blow over. But then I was like, I have to. And I just said, all of this shit happened. And now it's done. And I forgive you. And I don't want to hold on to this anymore. Like, I'm not mad that Julian's gone. He needed to go. I'm not mad at you for anything. Like, I understand your anger. And it was like, poof, the tension dis- disappeared. 20 years <laughs> yeah. like that. And so yeah. it's those stupid little things we, where we have to force ourselves to go. But even we have to pay attention and be mindful of those things. The tiniest little Maybe thing. we can filter just a little bit so it's not... Yeah the trigger point. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times like the people, and this is the thing too, I had to let go of my own age. It's funny. I've talked about that a lot. Time and age being an illusion. And I I think I talked about it a lot thinking more because I hear it more from people who are older, who use their age. Like they're like, Oh, I'm so old. I should, you know, I can't be healthy. I can't blah, blah, blah. Like I'm older. So therefore I can't is what I hear so often. Yeah. But then I realized even in my own coaching practice, that I was holding back because I'm 20 to 30 years younger than a lot of my coaching clients. One of the things I realized at one point in my journey was like, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you've walked into a room where there's wisdom all over the fucking walls and you can see it, then you have the right to share that with other people. It doesn't matter how old you are when you walk in that yes. room. It doesn't matter if you're six or if you're 90. Like wisdom is wisdom. Truth is truth. And we don't have to have, like, no one's going to hand you um, the microphone and say, you're now worthy of speaking the truth. Yes. That doesn't ever happen. It's imaginary. You have to hand it to yourself and be like, I'm worthy of speaking the truth because I can see that this is the truth. It works. Therefore, it's true. So 
yeah, I've worked with a lot of people who are older and they, and like a lot of people have, again, cause this is the thing when our belief systems, these patterns that we have create our lives, they are woven into our marriages, our families, our businesses, our physical well-being, our spirituality, mm-hmm. our religion, our relationship to God and religion and literally every aspect of life. And that's like what you just described is something I see a lot where people will have these patterns that literally have controlled their lives for two to three decades. And they start working on their core beliefs and changing. Usually it's, it's establishing like what is the deepest core belief that's generating the most negativity in your life. Let's name it label it, rip it out and put something healthy in that place. And then your main job every day is to notice where, like all those little things, where am I seeing, oh, that leaf belongs to that plant, which belongs to that. Oh, that's right. That's the thing I'm working on. Okay. So that's, this is a point where I can change my behavior. I can act on this new belief and give it a new behavior and a new face, you know, and that's what it is. And people have these things that have ruled their lives for several decades just disappear in a matter of months mm. because it really is that powerful. That's why I say, it's <laughs> posting on Facebook lately. I love my job because it's, like what's more rewarding than seeing people walk out of patterns that have been like trapping them for their entire lives. Like I can't think of anything yeah. more exhilarating than being able to stand by while people do that. It's incredible. I got caught up in thinking I had to prove to everybody else that I could change. Mm-hmm. That was my number one pattern over and over because people would say things like you, you'll never change or you've never changed or you're still the same. And and I would think, whatever, I am freaking changing. Like that's literally <laughs> all my life is about. And I couldn't understand why people weren't seeing me changing. And then like for decades, I was doing this. And recently again, I was kind of like, fuck, I don't have to prove anything to these people. I know I've changed. They don't want to accept that I've changed because they hold on to who I am in the past. And I was holding on to that too. And so it was like, fuck all of that. And it really does take that kind of like introspection just for a minute to like, remember I'm already qualified. Like I am here. My existence has already qualified me and that's all that matters. Yeah. And that's like the ultimate, I wish that would be the one thing I wish everyone just freaking embodied. Like, yeah, your existence, you're supposed to be here. You're worthy. That's enough. And the rest is, it's, it's pretty much like inconsequential really. And when it comes down to it, yeah, that's the belief that I've had, like the most common belief people have or that they need to pick up in order to move forward is I am worthy yeah. and deserving of love and I'm worthy and deserving of living and enjoying my life. Yes. And most people believe they're not worthy of love or that they're not worthy of being happy, that they, they believe they're worthy of pain and stuckness and frustration. And so that's what they get. You know, we get what we ask for. We get what we believe in. And yeah, like that actually leads to, so one of the things I learned from, oh gosh, what's her name? Um, Lisa Nichols is a, this amazing black woman. She's a motivational speaker. I know her. I think I follow her on Twitter and on Instagram and I think on Facebook. She's amazing. I actually don't follow her all those places, but I've watched a bunch of her videos and she was played a huge, like there's like a, a hand, there's a solid probably 10 people who like really made a solid impact in turning my life around in the process of recovery. And she's one of them. And one of the things she said, I tell my clients and I just, I said it to myself over and over again. And I tell my clients a lot is I have nothing to prove, nothing to protect, nothing to defend and nothing to hide. Mm. And when you begin to realize that, then you say that again, say that again. I have nothing to prove, nothing to protect, nothing to defend and nothing to hide. Okay, everybody write that down. (laughs) Proving. Well, this is the thing too, is it's like, 
what healing is in life is just recognizing that God made us whole. Mm. Our wholeness is already inside of us. And all healing is, is tapping into really emotionally understanding there's nothing wrong with me. The things that happened in my life, the beliefs I was given by my parents, these things that transpired, the wounds I received, blah, blah, blah. None of that had anything to do with who I am at my core. Yeah. So I don't have to believe, like, is it that ultimately what happens? Like the reason trauma impacts us so deeply is not only does it replay itself, but it, there's a way, a weighty message about our worth and value as a human person when trauma is involved. We get this message that it's my fault. If I were somehow better, this wouldn't have happened. And it, it, that's simply not true. And another thing I tell, I've said in my YouTube videos a lot is like our worthiness is a gift from God. And we like, we aren't powerful enough to make ourselves unworthy at our core. All it takes is turning back to God who is love and accepting his forgiveness and love, accepting like that he already loves us as we are and letting the love in and believing that we're worthy of it. And once we've received that love, like once you've been all loved up, you're a kind, wonderful, loving person. And that was the thing, like the first few months of my recovery, in order to rewire the brain when it's stuck in a trump, like a stress response constantly, you elevate your mood a lot. You go, you go into a positive emotional state and keep yourself in a positive emotional state as much as you can to help turn that stress wish off in your brain. Like if you flood your brain with this positive neurochemistry, it turns off this, that stress response that's just stuck on on and producing adrenaline and fear and looping thoughts and physical symptoms constantly. So I spent, I just took it way farther than anyone else I've literally ever talked to who's done this. And because I have a lot of pretty intense physical it's and I had um, like physical, I had physical pain of so many kinds and I couldn't walk very well. I couldn't drive and I had five kids and mm. uh, I really, this was three years ago. And I, I, I was like, I got, I was so determined. I was so determined to find a way. And I, at the very beginning, I was doing the visualization practice and elevating my mood. And when my mood was that elevated, I couldn't feel the pain in my body anymore. So wow. was, as long as I was in this, like, and everyone, like I tell people, they're like, oh, it's like I'm high. I'm like, no, being high is like what your brain can actually do in real life. <laughs> like, being yeah. high is the imitation. Being drunk is the imitation of what your brain is capable of. So I tapped into that natural high and everything disappeared. And I realized that w when we've been loved, when we've received love, we're naturally good people. Yeah. When I have felt that good, I was, I was endlessly patient with my kids. It did not matter. I had five kids between the ages of seven and twin one-year-olds at the time. And it didn't matter what they did. They couldn't get to me because I was so happy and joyful. I would take anything they, 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 anything they threw at me and I felt like I was juggling energy and I would be like, I would turn everything to a game or turn into something positive. Like, because mm -hmm. I was just, I had so much joy and kids are so open to that, you know? And I was like, oh my God, I'm not a bad person. I just need love. And that became like the core of my understanding as I continued my recovery was like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just a person who needs love. And when I let the love in and realize I don't have to prove anything, I don't have to protect anything, I don't have to hide anything, I don't have to defend myself. Like one of the things I said to myself today, all these days, like regularly now, I'm indefensible. Like there's nothing, there's really nothing to defend here. I just am. Yes. I am made God fabric. He is who is. Like he is the, the great I am. I'm came off the same fabric. I'm a spark off the eternal flame. I am. That's enough. No need to prove anything. And that just, it changes our behavior so radically, like so radically. I love how you brought up that you would turn things into a game. I think playfulness is something we really lose track of yes. as we get older. And I remember watching Shonda Rhimes. I think she gave a TED talk or something to that effect. And she talked about how she 
very intentional about making sure that she played with her kids again because she was in like writer's block. She was clogged. She didn't know what to do. And she realized that she was missing this play, this spontaneity, this other orientation of just being there for someone else. And in that recent era of my, of my transformation, I'd say within that six months, I had discovered that too within myself. I thought when I intentionally play with my kids, I can write like crazy. I'm more creative. I'm relaxed. I'm not feeling my aches and pains as if I'm aging. It's just like, yeah. we forget about the playfulness and how, what I also love about playfulness is it's, it, it's inside all of what is erotic as well. Yes. And so we get lost from eroticism. I think a yes. lot of that is because I think that love that we have for ourselves, that acceptance, that understanding of our worthiness is stemmed out of eroticism too. But we have these yeah. horrible, wretched, patriarchal, religious theologies that suggest that none of that is possible unless we, we understand this doctrine and we follow this creed and we say this prayer and hope to God will be spared or something. But the play and the erotic is very essential, I think, to healing. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the things that's healed my relationship with my kids. And one of the things that's dramatically transformed my parenting, because I, as I mentioned the last time we talked, like that was a part of my healing was just letting myself be, you know, go down into the quiet, like a, a bedroom, we have a spare room in the basement, turn on Jason Mraz and like, just let my body move how it wanted and be in that space. So, and I mostly yeah, it was just, it was dance, very sexual, yeah. but very, you know, whatever. And, and I really enjoyed it. But then the, one of the first things that changed was how I parented my kids, which yeah. is not, again, it's like, it's not what people think it is at all, but it's that playfulness. And, and part of it, again, in like the poetry I've sent you from my blog and stuff, like to me, it's a love affair between me and my God. And I wanted to be a nun when I was a teenager. And that was like, I just wanted to marry God. I was yeah. like, I, I knew in my mind, like I'd heard the theology that, you know, heaven is this eternal union. And I was like, well, I don't want to wait for that. I want it now. So let me be a nun so I can have it now. I want that union now. And so I experienced that union. And then I realized with my kids, a lot of times all the attention seeking behaviors and all the misbehaving and so on is just, they want attention and they want to be played with. Like, what's the need that's behind it? Yeah. And I noticed that every time it's the same thing with ourselves. And it's the same thing with our kids. Whenever there's misbehavior going on, it's a, it's a child's way of saying, I need love. Connection. And so I need connection. Exactly. And like one of my favorite examples ever was my son, who's just four now and he's the most playful little stinker like he's little mr mischievous and he just has me around his pinky finger and um he came out he needed a butt wipe he came out of the bathroom with his pants down and he was like and he, I, I, and he didn't want me to though he's like i don't want you to wipe my butt but then he was just like hanging out and i'm like you can't like but I, at that point i had just dived into this kind of space of that like what you call eroticism and playfulness and i was like fine i'm not wiping your butt so i like walked away i gave him this sassy face but then I kind of glanced over my shoulder as I walked away, kind of this like almost flirty kind of thing, looking over my shoulder, like I'm going this way. And you're like, you're, you can't come. And then when I turned around and walked past him a minute later, like he kind of found me, he grabbed a wipe and he handed me a wipe and turned around and like stuck the butt up with me. And I'm like, here, you want my butt now? Like he just wanted me to play with him. And in the past I would have argued with him and like yes. tried to prove my point or, you know, threatened him or something. But I was like, no, he just wants to play. Yeah. So when I play with him, he's like, okay, no, you, you, no, you, you earned the right to help me. You earned the right to parent me because you connected with me. And so that's so often the case is with children as well. 
yeah. and yeah, the playfulness thing though too is what I discovered <laughs> in this process was that within each of us, like within each of our hearts, like heaven really lives inside of us. And there's a thing, there's a movie called The Secret, and I haven't seen it, and I don't really know a whole lot about it, but I know I've discovered it. It's just sometimes I walk around feeling like I just know the secret that everything is amazing and it makes me feel really happy. And so one of the, the things I think that's what playfulness points to. It's like looking at someone and being like, I know a secret. Like, let's go over here. I have something to show you. Like, there's this incredible secret that we are already enough and heaven is right here hiding yes. inside of and behind, you know, every light and every rock and every tree and every person. You just have to learn how to see it here. Everything you're looking for is right in front of you. But it's almost like through seeing that in someone that you begin to see how that's possible. And mm. play is just one of the, the ways that we do that. That's been like, I think I've always had a playful nature. I've always been accused of being flirtatious. Um, and I've always kind of just been like, that's just the way I am. And I am. And I will smile at everybody at the grocery store. I smile yeah. at everybody who I pass while I'm driving. I just smile at everybody. And I've been doing that intentionally, I, I'd say for the past five years, but I know I've always been like that. And it's fun because so many people, I think, don't receive smiles so freely. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. And I'm just like, that's how we acknowledge God for me. I mean, that's, God is yeah. all in all. And so I'm always looking at God and what face do you want to present to God? And I know a lot of people will go, that's so stupid and lame. And are you kidding me? And not when I'm in this foul mood, but we do choose the moods that we linger in. I catch myself all the time, especially, especially in autumn, especially during harvest when I don't see my husband. And especially when I'm trying to finish out the garden, it's just like a decaying time of year where I get caught up. And so then I have to pull myself out of it and be like, no, 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 I don't have to sit in this mood this long. I have to stop excusing myself. Because for so long, I was like, this is just my season to do this. I'll do it. And I just stuck with it. And I'm like, or it doesn't have to be the whole season. So yeah, we just get caught up in these lingering moods sometimes and let them overwhelm us. And then I think it's a lot of society's media's portrayal that this victim mentality serves us yes. well. And yeah. then it's like, no, it doesn't. It keeps us trapped. No, it just makes us miserable. Yeah. It makes you feel miserable and trapped all the time. No, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. And again, like what any season, like literally everything in life is exactly what you make of it. That yeah. is all it is. It's whatever perspective you choose to take. Yeah. And like one of the things, even in terms of play that I've learned as I looked at all of life and um, I just realized like, it's funny because I used to be severely depressed. I used to have PTSD. I used to have severe anxiety. And this isn't, it's coming from almost the opposite place. When I look at my life, I'm like, nothing really matters that much. It's all a game anyways. Like, yes. God wins. Like, yeah. this isn't a big deal, you know? So whatever my brain's like, are you sure you should have posted that video of yourself like dancing on Facebook? I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Like, who cares, right? Like, it's exactly a game. And it's even like, okay, my husband happens to hate me right now. Who cares? It's just a game. Like, I still get, I'm still free. I get to eat. I get to sleep. I get to live. Like, there's time for things to change. No big deal. Like, it'll all work out in the end. Yeah. And it has. <laughs> it's like... It really does. It's, we take our lives far too seriously. Far too seriously. Far too seriously too. <laughs> we take everything. We get caught up in these distractions of the rat race. We think we're connected to people just because we have a Wi-Fi signal. And we ignore the people that are in front of our faces and think everything that's going on outside there is more important. And it's like, nope. That's what I always think, you know. And 
it's silly. I mean, I'm putting myself out there. Obviously, I'm subject to criticism, but it comes and I'm like, well, look what I can do. I can shut my freaking screen and y'all don't exist anymore. So like that's not that's not the important reality, right? Like the important yeah. reality is literally what's right here. And we yeah. forget that so often. We just we let it go and we forget about it. And I think I think more people need to maybe learn to be introverts. And I don't mean seclude yourselves. I just mean like find what brings you joy right there, like in your house with your people or your pets or whatever. It is so funny you say that, actually, because that's literally the space I stepped into. Because I was an extrovert my entire life. Loved people. And I loved connection. And I always craved connection. And as I went on this journey of self-love, I began to realize that the love I give myself has fed my soul in a way that was never fed by other people. I know exactly what I like. I've learned it by listening to my heart. I'm like, okay, these are the things I like to do. I love to take walks. I love nature. I love dancing. I love being stupid, making silly faces. I love laughing really loudly and singing really loudly and like I love Jason Raz and I love pentatonics and like like I love these things and this is the kind of life I like to live that makes me happy I found what makes me tick and so ready to explore the extroverted possibilities and with my recovery it was kind of all bets off do whatever you need to do to recover so I've connected with a lot more people as I put myself out there more and I've had a lot of messenger conversations and I've done more traveling and taken more risks and interact with more people. And then I realized I never find a whole lot. Like I find that a lot of people like to talk to me because I'm quiet and I can listen and I don't judge. But then at the end of it, I'm like, did I really get a whole lot out of that? And it's like, well, it's nice to be listening ear to someone, but ultimately it's like, no, not a whole lot. Like I'd, I'd rather be alone than that. I realized that I spent my whole life thinking that everything I wanted was somehow out there. And it was like, no, everything I want is in here in my heart. Mm -hmm. This is where God speaks to me. This is where I can create my own reality from. This is where I can discover my purpose that he put into my DNA. This is where I can create my house to be the beautiful environment I want it to be. I can create relationships and all these things. And it was like realizing like other people are usually consumed in their own problems. Most people don't really have a lot to offer. And that's not, again, it's not like their fault. It's just kind of where our society is right now. People are usually pretty mired in stress. And when you're stressed out, you don't have anything to offer but the stress that you have inside of yourself. Yes. And it's like, what are we here to do? And this is what Jason Mraz, like Jason Mraz's song, um, Love is Still the Answer. Like we're here to create from love. Yes. And that was one thing that clicked for me at one point in my recovery was like, all I care about is loving and creating. That's it. That's what I'm here to do is to love yes. and, to, and to live in love I and love to create it. things from love. And everything that comes from love is good and beautiful and pure and enjoyable and unbelievably innovative, innovative, like God speaks through each of us things that he's never, he wouldn't keep making human beings if there wasn't more goodness to be had, right? Yes. Like he's infinite. And so the point of life, and this is again, one of the things I do with coaching my YouTube videos, like the thing I want is to tell people like, listen to your heart. What do you want to share with the world? What sets you on fire? What lights your face up? What makes you want to dance? Go do it. That's yes. what you're here for. Like, that's the whole point of being alive go do what you're meant to do. And like, that's the point. Like we've only got so much time. And that was a beautiful gift of my illness too, was like facing death in your 20s being like, am I dying? I'm 27 year old, 27 years old and I might be dying right now. And then when you get your life back, you're like, I'm not wasting another second because death is going to come one day. And I want to make sure to look back that I used every single moment to be in love basically. Right. I want to go back to something you said earlier about how you made the decision to go from extrovert to introvert because you were realizing sometimes it just wasn't worthy of your energy. And I jive with that. And it's something that I've come to realize 
Well, I have moments where I want to be around people. And yeah, and I think we all do that. I think we all kind of, I don't know if we're really all exactly introverted or extroverted. I think we have ebbs and flows, you know, the cycles. Helpful. They're just not. Yeah. And I think because, I mean, for me, especially the way I look at women in general, I think we're cyclical creatures. And so we go through these phases and ebbs and flows. But I think I get caught up a lot. And when I am out and socializing and trying to engage is you can get thirsty for this desire that it's going to change you or make you better. And if that's why you're doing it, I mean, for me, I realized that's why I was doing it. Like I was thinking it was going to just like benefit me or credit me. And it wasn't necessarily about other people. It was like, I need to do this for myself. But then I came to a point where if it's going to add love, I want to participate in it. If I'm going in it thinking that because I participate in it, it must change me. I think that's kind of just like a bad view to, to hold for it. I think it's not other oriented enough to where it adds to you. So let me put that in a different way. I think we don't need to get caught up in this idea that the, we're participating out of obligation because it's going to change us, but we're participating because we just want to add to the love of it of the potential love that it can create because we want to be a part of a connection and it's not so much for us, but for others. And I think a lot of times we're just too selfish and we want to do things for ourselves and there's a balance there. There's ourselves, but there's the oneness and the other. The other thing that's interesting, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, actually, now that you've said that, because one of the things that led to everything I just discussed about becoming introverted was that I realized that as soon as I was looking to someone to give me something, my capacity to receive something from them was non-existent. As soon as I was seeking, as soon as I come into any interaction with someone wanting something from them, I was no longer capable of receiving anything from them because my own desire was getting in the way. My yes. own need was getting in the way. And I realized the only times I received from others is when I was just showing up with no agenda. And I even like one of the biggest things that was so funny, like it's a funny little thing. I used to talk a lot and used to talk over people a lot more. And I, I began to just call someone and like ask them a couple questions and then just let them start the conversation if it became quiet. Yeah. And it felt so radical to like not say anything when the phone went silent and just wait for them to say something. But it was so different. And I realized that what I get in a connection is I receive the person instead of looking to receive something from them. Mm-hmm. I just receive them. And that's what enriches me. For the that, most part. That makes me think of uh, Simone Weil. She speaks of something called attention, which a lot of people call presence. Is this attention that we give, what it requires for us is to remove ourselves from the space, remove our ego, set it completely aside so that the other can penetrate us and that will yes. fulfill us. And we yes. have no other expectation. When you go to someone with the truest intention of attention, it's not self-seeking or self-serving. It's just to provide space. And I hear you on those phone calls. Um, That's what I've noticed. There's a lot of people and people I've never really interacted with that I'm connected to on social media will randomly message me and say, can I talk to you on messenger audio right now? And I'm like, okay. You know, and they call me up and, oh, they'll say, I like, I like your writing. I like your work. I'm ready for your book, whatever. I like your podcast. 
And then I'll say, you know, thank you. And I'll say, well, what's on your mind? And then blah, 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 blah. And 45 minutes later, they're thanking me and I'm going, you're welcome. I didn't say anything. Exactly. Or, or I, very, I said very little or I just asked questions and then. Yes. But that's what people need is space. Exactly. That exactly. kind of led me towards this kind of goal to create space like that for women, especially who also want to learn how to embody eroticism. But just this idea that really, I, from my own view as a woman, we don't have a lot of space to just have someone else hear us. Let us be heard. Let us be seen. Let us make yeah. us feel like we matter. And yes. so when I had these calls come through, and mostly men too, weirdly, people just, just want some space. And I love that. And I've said this again and again, I love that people trust me enough that they think I can give them that space, which is what I want to do, which is what I had to train myself to do within my own family. That's what I think we're supposed to be doing for other people. And we're not taught how to. We're not taught how to listen. We're not taught how to listen to people. We're taught how to argue and defend and refute and rebuke and reject, but we're not taught how to listen and just make space, hold space. Yeah. I have to tell you a story because I, and this is the thing too, is one of most, I honestly think that people learn best from by example. And that's why, I don't know, it's one of the, my most deeply held beliefs. People learn by what you do and who you are so much more than what you say. And that's the thing though, is when you are a person of substance and that's obvious, people will pay attention to what you say yes. because they know that you actually live it out or you wouldn't be saying it. Like you are behind the words. And I learned like, so last summer I went on a hike with a friend and I, I'd known this person kind of distantly for like a year and a half, very distantly. And then it connected. He asked me if I wanted to go hiking. I just had, like, it's my first time in my life after kids and chronic illness, I was finally able to do 14ers. I live in Colorado. So, like, I had just done a 14er. He invited me to another 14er. I'm like, I'm making this happen. I love hiking. Like, I love doing 14ers. Mountains are my place. So we went on this hike and had a short friendship after that. And it was, it was one of those experiences where this person not only held space, but genuinely just enjoyed me. And then told me that he enjoyed this or that thing about the way that I was. And it was a freak, like a lot of the things he gave, like said, I really enjoy this aspect of you. I love that about you. And one person of substance who made space and just genuinely like showed up ready to enjoy me as I was. And then told me, Hey, I really like this part of you. I really enjoy this, that you're like this. It healed these wounds in me that had been there for decades. And it taught me how to do that. And it was from receiving and I ended up writing 30 letters to this person that I never sent because I needed that space because it was the space that was created between us. And so I tapped into that by writing this person letters, even though I didn't send them, it was like I could tap into that space where I felt seen, even though they weren't really there. Mm -hmm. And it, so it was an act of self-love and kind of using my imagination. And I was like, I'm happy for this person to read these if he ever wants to. But in the meantime, I need to do this for myself. And so I peeled back like we had an amazing connection when we hiked and so I learned like I took all the gems out of our conversation and learned all these things and I finally later like cut towards the end of the letters I was like you just made space for me and in doing so you gave me to myself mm. I didn't know the person that you saw like that person I didn't know she existed but you saw this person and you're like I like that person I like that girl and I was like, what girl? <laughs> like, this person everyone's criticized for 25 years, 30 years. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh. 
And so then I, I decided to embody that because I loved that feeling because it was authentic yeah. and it just showed me all these wonderful aspects of myself that no one had ever said before, but it was, he made space for it, enjoyed it, told me that without attachment. And then I was like, I became that person, the person that he saw because I, I took the time to like take that apart. And then I've been able, but it was since that occurrence and all of that happening that I'm not able to provide space for other people. Mm. He taught me how to do that. One person taught me how to provide space for the people by doing it for me. It was that That's simple. Beautiful. I was like, I, I just, I knew in that moment, like this is going to change my life dramatically. Like what a gift this person gave me just by making space for me and enjoying me and saying so and not being ashamed of it. It really does just take one person to show us what it looks like. My husband is like, I don't even know, an unbreakable bowl of all my junk. And every day he comes home and he'll say, you know, how's the blog? And, you know, any, any lashing out or, you know, what's going on on your social media today? What kind of controversies are you starting? And he just takes it all for me. And I just get to like, be like, blah, 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 blah. And this person said this. And he's like, okay. And he never takes everything I say and ever uses it against me. So, but he also did more than that. I mean, he without hesitation forgave me for my infidelity. And I think ever since then, I've been trying to like imitate that kind of love back to him. But that, and we did that in an erotic space, not a sexual space, in an erotic space where we were vulnerable, where we were willing to go, you hurt me really deep and I'm willing to let you do it again. Yes. And it was in that space that it, and it was a slow process because I certainly didn't reflect it outward to a lot of people right away, but it's those people and those reflections that we want to then reflect outward that show us what the cosmic Christ, the, the example of Jesus, what God had intended for us is that kind of love. And it's so crazy how there's moments where it's shown to us and it from the inside out transforms the way that we are. And now can I please imitate you in every way possible, imitating God and showing it to other people. I totally hear you on that. And we all have people like that. And I'm not saying it should be your spouse or it ought to be your spouse because and a lot of times it's not your spouse. And sometimes, and I don't know if my husband can say this or not, but sometimes I'm always like, do you ever even learn shit from me? Like you over (laughs) here, like sensei Buddha, all chill as shit. And I'm just this crazy person going, oh. I know what I need to change about myself. And he's just like, oh, yeah, okay, honey. But he never really <laughs> gives me an answer. So but his grandmother was his impression. I know that. His grandmother was his impression. That was his impression of God. And so, yeah. and he, I never knew his grandmother. She died before we married. I met her once before we married. But she left that impression on him. And so what I'm saying is, don't expect it to be your significant other always. It could be your grandmother. It could be your sister. It could be a random stranger on the street, but it does yeah. only take that one. And that is what's erotic. It's lovemaking. It's not sex. Yeah. It's literally making a connection of love. That's yeah. erotic. Yeah, exactly. And it was a funny thing too, because even like, and again, I think all of us, so you know how we, we say we're, there's the saying that we're made in, and it's like kind of Christian slash Catholic theology. I don't, I haven't studied theology enough to know like, which churches teach this, but the concept that we're made in the image of God. Yes. So I see that, that that's reversed as well, where we see an aspect of God that no one else sees. And we're meant to become see-through enough that other people can see God through us. 
that part that only we can show yes. because we're the only one who sees it. And I think sometimes when these magical connections happen between two people, any two people, you see that the part of God that you needed to see, like you see who God is in them. You see that. And it's like, that's exactly what I needed to see. It's kind of like the actual, Oh my God, like what? This is God showing himself to me through this person. And that same person showed me like I was having a conversation, I think with my husband about a fatherly tenderness. And this is the last letter I wrote to this friend. This is a guy who's eight years younger than I am in his early twenties. Right. And there was on our hike. So we showed up on this hike, we get to the continental divide and it's like lightning and raining and freezing cold. Cause it always is when you're like 12,000 feet in the air. <laughs> and I had been on a different hike that was also a 14 er but it was like, for whatever reason, it wasn't on the divide. And it, I don't know, it didn't start as high. It was mild. I was hiking up that thing in like a tank top and a pair of leggings and I was hot. This time it was like freaking cold. So I dressed kind of the same way I did for my first 14 er for this one. And I was not well-dressed enough. Like I didn't have enough extra layers. And as soon as the first thing you do when we get there is like, do you need gloves? Do you need an extra jacket, hat, this, that? And, and like, I was wearing like half my clothes and half his clothes by the time we were like solidly going. And then even as we were hiking or whatever, we'd stop every once in a while and my, my, the hat kept sliding up and he would just take it and pull it down over my face, like pull it down over my head again. And I like, I'd never had someone feel so comfortable with me that they would just come over and fix my up. He was just taking care of me. And the whole time we're going up, like I have this fear of heights that I had since I was nine and I was fighting it tooth and nail up this mountain because I wanted to break the thing. I wanted to break that fear. And he saw what was going on and he just got behind me. He was spotting me. And if I got stuck, he would, he would like, be like, okay, we're going to, the trial's over here. And so a couple of times I slipped and he would caught me and it was like, I could feel in his grip, there was no fear. And it was like, no, you really do have me. Like, you're not going to let me fall off the mountain. You're really not. Like, you weren't joking. You're going to look out for me. You're going to show me where to go. And if I slip, you'll catch me. And like, you'll keep me warm and you'll keep me safe. And it, I was like, this is how God feels about us. Like, this is what it's yes. like to experience God's fatherly tenderness. All right. Well, I want to switch gears here and get your thoughts on a recent spectacle from a Sunday football game. And Do you know what I'm talking watch, about? Watch the halftime show. You did? I did not. Did, have you heard about it? I've heard about it. I don't know. I, I actually, I, I went to go watch it and then I got busy with my kids because I wanted to figure out what my thoughts were because I love Shakira and J-Lo and I was yeah. like, I don't know, but it can't be half as bad as everyone's saying it is. Look, I'm not, I wasn't calling it pornographic or anything, but I was like, huh? What did they do? Okay. Was, so, well, I mean, there's Shakira and J-Lo. So first of all, we should know we should know what to expect, what they do. They're known for shaking their asses and their hips and they do a, a marvelous job. I, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I'm going to watch this and just enjoy it. <laughs> However, there were some, in my opinion, a little bit of questionable moves that maybe required, uh, hey, by the way, this might be taking place advisory. And real quick, just if, in case you want to take your kids out of the room kind of moment. And the only reason I thought about that is I think about all the shows that I really start getting into on Netflix and then suddenly I have to go, oh shit, the kids can't be in the room. There's a fucking out of place, redundant, unnecessary sex scene. Yes. And so, and and that has always been my constant complaint with my shows. Like if I know I'm going to be watching something sexual, then I want to know, but I didn't know. And so that's what it was. And so I was like, kind of like trying to like empathize with people who are more sensitive to things like that. And I am too. I don't want my kids seeing that. And I'm a younger ones. Not yet. I'm not ready. They are censored from videos, but 
a lot of people were upset, but it got turned into a multiplicitous outrage. It was like, because there's Latin women, because they brought the Latin flag out, because uh, they had a stripper pole, but it was just really a pole. I mean, no one took clothes off. I don't even remember what the other complaints were. The Christian conservatives had to cover their eyes or something. Oh my I don't know. Just lots of really yeah. silly stuff. <laughs> um, and everyone was just going bonkers. And I was just trying to empathize with one view as a mother. And I was like, look, I'm a mom. I also watch porn. I'm not acting like, oh, my eyes. But I'm like, oh, someone should have let you know, like maybe your kids. And I don't know. And so, and I'm all about context. Like, right? Like, I watch porn in a certain context, not with my kids around. If I'm going to watch a show that I know is sexually suggestive, my kids aren't around. If we're watching Aladdin, yeah, my kids are right there. So my, my, only, my only concern was just to empathize with people who were like, I wasn't ready for that. I would have liked a heads up. But I think people blew it up into something else. But what it really brings up for me is just kind of this more so the hypersexualization that I think a lot of people are concerned about happening in this kind of ambiguous way and a seductive kind of way where they're slowly working it in and pushing the boundaries of what we find is acceptable or not as a society. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that just brings up that topic of that, like how much is too much and 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 are we prudish in some aspects? Do we need to be more open to things? And in some senses, I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, because hello, eroticism is me. At the same time, we can't force people. And so it's like, where do we find that, that healthy tension where people aren't feeling forced or coerced or seduced into accepting something they're not ready to, but also don't we need healthy boundaries? Yeah. So what it comes down to is two things. There's the fact that our world is overly obsessed with sex because we don't understand what connection and intimacy and eroticism is. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of over-sexualization where it, anything connected, like in the, even the word intimacy, for most of the world, people associate that with something sexual. Yep. That's a very common thing to do. It doesn't have anything to do with it. I mean, again, people talk about the, on the other side, you say, into me, see. It's simply intimacy is when you see someone. Yes. And that's seeing their heart and their soul, not their body. That's not really, that's not the point. You know, that's not the deepest intimacy at all. Well, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have had one night stands and can testify that having sex with someone doesn't mean anything. It can mean absolutely nothing. They, they're a lot, but I would vouch from where I stand that like 90 to 99.9% of sex in this world is not intimate mm. in the truest sense of the word. But because that's the physical expression of actual emotional intimacy, that's the way you see it. It's like, okay, these people's bodies are penetrating each other. So that must be intimacy. So there's this obsession with that. And because of the female dynamic, we put so much emphasis on the woman has to be seductive in order to be worthy, to make the man feel good and make the whole world go around because sex is what makes the world go around in some people's yeah. worlds. And it's like that all of that is based on a false premise. So there's that over-sexualization. And it comes down to even like so much of Christian conservatism is based on this same exact principle. Yeah. We have to cover the woman's body because she's dangerous. Her beauty's dangerous. It's going to lead you into something bad and scary and sinful. But it's Lust. all based on, yep. exactly. It's all based on this misunderstanding of sexuality as something that is meant to be spiritual before it's physical. I believe in monogamy because it's the only thing that makes sense for a healthy society in terms of having like healthy family units. Logically speaking, that makes healthy family units that are stable, which creates a healthy society. But our sexuality, like we don't see through the eyes of love. We see through the eyes of lust. 
So we don't see people, we see bodies. And then we get, make all these judgments about that person because of the way they're moving or the way they're dressing and so on. And what I realized when I went on my own journey and I began moving and dressing more like Shakira and I would, and I had to fight my brain so hard to let go of all, cause I'm a, I'm a stay at home Catholic mom. Like I can't be belly dancing. And I've had people tell me you shouldn't be belly dancing. You shouldn't be. And I'm like, no, I've, I've, I've far, far past that. But it was understanding that this is an expression of beauty. It's an expression of sexuality, of wholeness, of the nurturing, seductive nature of basically, and this is the thing, like if God contains the essence of both the masculine and feminine, God is seducing us. Mm. He's alluring us into the desert. He is beautiful. He wants to be pursued just like women. He's also the hound of heaven who's pursuing us. So he plays both roles, the masculine mm. and feminine. This is my that. take on my experience. And when I see women, and doing their thing, it inspires me like nothing else. It's like that woman is tapped into her femininity. And you can tell the difference too, though, when a woman is doing it to try to get something versus when she's doing it because it's an expression of herself. Like and she Nicki Minaj, she- Cardi B versus Shakira. Yes. And I don't exactly. mean in competition, but like, I mean, for me, like... Man- the, manner in- the manner in which. Right. Well, my daughter, I will now let my daughter listen to... N- Nicki Minaj or Cardi B. She will not watch her videos. She's only eight. And I'm just not ready. Her mind is not ready for that yet. But Shakira, I mean, Shakira has been like the voice on these cartoons and the soundtracks. And like, my daughter knows her voice. And I don't, I have, Shakira, I've loved Shakira since I first discovered her. So I mean, I love her and belly dancing. I mean, yeah, that's beautiful. And I love that. But there is that difference in that that entertainment industry has that influence over us where it's like raunchy lyrics and raunchy dancing and very explicitly suggestive kinds of scenes versus this is clearly of her culture. This is clearly an expression of beauty of sensuality, but we don't have a discussion about how to discern that. No. And part of it is understanding like one of the things that i and again, this is a very feminine way to view the world because I'm a woman. I'm not interested in trying to change everyone's mind. Yeah. I'm interested in handing people's power back to themselves and saying what you believe about sexuality and is going to basically create what you see when you watch something like the halftime, like the Super Bowl, like the, the show. Like when you watch a show like that, what you see depends on your lens. Mm. Which Calling is- me out here. Put this down. Put this down. No, really. It's <laughs> calling me out though because I'm sitting here going, oh shit, you're making a point here. Yeah. No, I mean, what we see, like what they say, what they say, you don't see what is in front of you. You see who you see, what you are. Like you see through the lens of who you are and what you believe. So each person, and that's the thing is I've taken a lens where when I see people, I choose to see their highest selves and I just discard everything else because I don't want to look at it. Like those are your problems, not mine. I don't have to take that. Mm. But in part of it is I've chosen to see women as beautiful. And it's like, if you're selling yourself short, that's not my business. That's yours. You've chosen to sell yourself short like that. If you're selling your body as a way to get money, that's your problem, not mine. I'm not going to get into that business. And I just, one of the things about the whole dynamic though, is it points out a problem, but complaining about the problem simply makes it louder. It doesn't fix it. Yeah. This is too. And that was like when I, the day of the the Super Bowl, I was scrolling down. I had all these conservative people being like, Namely, me and Shakira and Jay, shut the fuck up. Just enjoy the show, turn it off, and don't watch it. You were complaining about it. All it does is add more negativity to the world. Did you stop them from doing that? There was me and my Twitter feed adding negativity to the world. I was doing that. I wasn't dissing on the girls. I was dissing on the NFL for not giving me a parental advisory. But (laughs) 
you're making me feel salty right now. I'm over here like, yeah, she's right. I was, there's, I was adding negativity. There's amazing. There's an amazing book called The Complaint Free World by a man, man named, um, I think his name's Will Bowen. And he talks about how complaining in general is a symptom of that victim mindset. If you have a problem with something, do something about it. Mm. Whether it's changing your own mind or writing a fucking letter to someone and saying, I'm not okay with this. Getting all your friends to write them a letter and say, we need to know. We need to know. If you're going to be putting this stuff on television when there's kids watching, we need to know. And I'm not taking no for an answer. That's a person in their power actually creating change in the world. Mm. complaining simply just you're like basically throwing shit in the air you're like how's the negativity everybody it doesn't change anything well you know i'm actually really good throwing shit in the air we have (laughs) cows and sheep and i pitch manure so (laughs) i i have mucked many stalls i'm a shit thrower (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean that's one of those things where and that was even like when i was having that conversation kind of to come full circle with my husband about the homeschooling thing that was part of it was I was like, okay, I want to see a change, but how much am I willing to sacrifice, number one, to create that change? Also, how much can I sacrifice without sacrificing my authenticity because that's my core value? Hmm. But as I was saying, I want more structure for the children, but that was at the same time being like, okay, but I can't provide all of the structure that I want, but that doesn't mean that I can't provide some of it. What can I do is the question here. Yeah. Well, how can I make most of, you know, if I want something, what can I do that I'm not doing right now to create that change? That's the most important part. Don't focus on what you can't do. Focus on what you can do. And it gets bigger. The more, whatever you focus on gets bigger. So the more you focus on what you can change, the more you can change. Yes. As part of it, when people respect you and they see that you're doing something about it, they'll get behind you and they'll support you. And that gives you more power. So again, it's funny because people talk about power. Like it's, I feel like we've reclaimed so many words and power is one of them. People talk about power like it's a bad thing. But your personal power is the only thing you have in life. You so know, we need to power- take the power back for power. <laughs> yeah. You take the power back when you become a person who uses their personal power to create change in the world. People will respect you for that. And they'll get behind you and they'll put their efforts behind yours. Because mm. like, hey, that person's leading. They're actually doing something about it. Let me get behind them. But again, yeah. it all ties back to like believing we're worthy and believing that we don't have to We don't have to wait for someone else to hand our authority to us. It's inherent. You are really making me rethink that blog that I posted. Oh goodness, here, really, I'm over here like, did I, did I make a big old hullabaloo about nothing? (laughs) I'm not here to point fingers. No, 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 no. I'll grow from it. I'll grow and I'll evolve from it, and it's fine. And I already put it out there, and I don't give a fuck. So exactly. Yeah. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for this, Christina. Yeah. No, I really appreciate it. I enjoyed it a lot.